We'd like to welcome you to our current event and weekly Bible study for July 12th, 2009. And today we're going to be continuing the Hebrew Roots study that we've started. We're going to be going pretty much this whole teaching today is going to be Bible verses pertaining to this subject. We've talked, we've given you a lot of examples. We just finished actually with chapter 2 of the study that we're doing on, that's entitled To Embrace the Hebrew Roots Movement. And um, we're going to be going to chapter 3 after this uh, study that we get finished with uh, today. And uh, this is just, like I said, these are Bible verses that I've been compiling for a long time regarding the Hebrew Roots Movement, regarding uh, the Sabbath, and these types of things. And we're going to be taking a very, very in-depth look at what the New Testament says about these subjects. Now, we've already made, I think, a very strong case in... What we're going to be doing today is biblically backing up the previous nine teachings that we've done. And I got a, I've gotten several, received several uh, emails from people uh, thanking, thanking me in this regard for doing this study on the Hebrew roots. I think it's been a long time coming for them. It's been a long time coming for me. I've never undergone such intense attacks, particularly character assassination. Uh, against me as I've undergone since I've started this. Um, I'm not even going to name any names who's doing this. Um, if uh, uh, A lot of you may already know, but I'm not even going to get into it. Uh, this whole thing where we have to go and attack each other's characters and things of this nature, you know, if that's what they want to do, that's fine. Uh, I have a another group of um, transgendered, gay, pagan, goth witches that are also after me uh, on the internet, and they've uh, they've gone pretty far to um, just just make up stuff. I mean, we're talking; they're just they're just making up stuff. What they're doing is it's just pure outright lies and or twisted half truths against me. Uh, so I got that, and then we've got a couple of our, uh, we had about three different YouTube sites that were, that were taken down over the last, I'd say two weeks, that were putting up my teachings, and, um, these were the ones that, uh, were really generating a lot of, uh, of, um, downloads and things of this nature, but they're going right back up. The, the downloads are pretty much going right back up. There's a lot of people that are doing it. And they're doing it not because, you know, I, I believe they're, they're, they're very much feeling that they're led of the Lord to do this thing. Um, to get the truth out there before, you know, the thought police come down and pretty much shut down everything. Because that's what we're really dealing with. And YouTube has really become the thought police. They don't even give you any rationale or reasons as to why they're taking your videos down. Now, they just do it and... Um, uh, again, I'm not advising you to even go up on YouTube and, and start the process unless you feel led, because it is a uh, it, it's pretty uh, can be a very frustrating thing to to go through. But the truth is getting out there, and the controversy that's being created is actually working against them because the site that was re-put back up uh, on YouTube was I just found out yesterday was the 80th most subscribed site in the world. Um, the other uh, the other site that, that I mentioned that just was put back up. So, 80th most most subscribed site in the world. It was uh, for this month. Um, it was the eighth, I believe, most subscribed site for the month, or no sixth, in the United Kingdom. And it was actually there were days it was number one in the United Kingdom as the most subscribed site. So, the things that are being done against this ministry and myself are really backfiring because now there's more controversy that's being created so now there's more people that are actually listening so anyway that's that's all I'm going to really get into about that uh, I got this email from one of my listeners regarding this whole subject of the Hebrew Roots Movement and she said and an elitist attitude which is nothing more than pride. And that's really what this is about. This is about elitism. Well, what were the Pharisees and Sadducees all about? Elitism. Look at us. We're holier than thou. 
we are the priesthood, you are the laity, you obey us, because we know better. We know Hebrew, we know the Talmud, we know the Midrash, we know the Mishnah, we know the Kabbalah. Of course, we're not going to reveal that to you yet. People think that just because they get into the Hebrew Roots Movement, they start to dabble in it, and they're not studying the Kabbalah right off the bat, or the Talmud, that it's okay. I've had a lot of Hebrew Roots people try to justify this. Well, yeah, we study the Midrash, but that's all. In Again, we've just look at the past nine studies and see what we've said about the Midrash. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. You're using this extra-biblical source that is contrary to the New Testament in order to try to interpret the New Testament. It's contrary to it. It's contrary to, to really the Bible itself, even the Old Testament. Why, why would you want to use that type of rabbinical commentary? Well, we don't. We, we, just, we just celebrate the feast and we just do that. Well, where is that influence from? See, this is the exact same problem that Jesus Christ had. It was the main problem that he dealt with when he walked this planet. The Pharisees and the Sadducees' religion. This religion they had, where they had added to the words of God. They had put burdens on them that no man could bear, as we had talked about last week. It's the same thing Jesus Christ dealt with in his day. And he said to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, which is their doctrine. This is the exact same problem he dealt with. Now it's coming full circle. In the day and time right before, you know, the tribulation, right before the Antichrist makes his appearance, it's the same exact problem Jesus Christ dealt with. So, it really only makes sense that, that, it were, that this would reoccur again. Not to say it wasn't there as an undercurrent for the thousands of years, but I'm talking about how it's infiltrated Christianity. Much of the Bible, and we're going to be looking at those Bible quotes today, are dealing with the exact same subject. This is why a lot of this is mentioned in the book of Romans, in the book of Hebrews, in the book of Galatians, which is where the Jews came in to spy out the liberty that we have in Christ and pull us back into bondage, the religious Jews. It's the same thing today, and this is exactly why I'm doing this whole teaching. It's no different. So, the, I've been accused this week of not having, was like any, I have no, I don't have one Christian loving bone in my body. Or, all these things that, that, that were leveled against me, that I'm preaching a cheap gospel, uh, and just, you know, accusation after accusation after accusation. And it's as though <laughs> am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth. Galatians 4.16 Just refute this whole teaching. I mean, the problem is, is it can't be refuted when it's straight out of the words of their mouth. And I'm quoting from a very highly referenced study here. So I, I don't see how that can be refuted because their words have already betrayed them. It's not my fault what the people in the Hebrew Roots Movement, the, the leaders, have uttered. It's not my fault what the Babylonian Talmud and a lot of the other extra-biblical oral traditions that have been committed to writing. It's not my fault what they say. It's not my fault what the New Testament clearly says regarding this subject, and we're going to be looking at that in depth today. So you can, you can attack me all you want. You can say all manner of evil about me. You can rail against me. That's your prerogative. That's your prerogative. I'm just going to stick to what I'm doing, and I'm not going to waver off it. And understand, when this happens to me, all it does is fuel my fire even more. It does nothing to dissuade me. Nothing. So anyway, not not to say that I'm Mr. Big Tough Guy and, and, and have no feelings or whatever, but... You know, it's, uh, the more I learn about this, the more affirming this becomes for me, that, that I, that, um, that this needs to be done, this study. Um, going further, and for those on Revelation News Network, 
uh, Frank did a very good seven-part expose on this subject. He he hit some. Uh, he shows this Michael Rood video, and uh, <laughs> the guy comes out. I mean, he looks like an Old Testament priest, you know, and um, comes out and starts. the The first thing he does is start attacking the New Testament and attacking how we've mistranslated words. It's the first thing he does. On this video, he's got all of these pagan-looking things in the background. He's dressed up like he's some Jewish rabbi. I mean, we're talking ready to go into the temple. It looks like a circus sideshow. And but the guy's very—he's a very good speaker. I mean, he's a he's very authoritative voice and, and very good speaker. And he gets out there. First thing he does is start attacking the Word of God by saying these names were mistranslated. And what is that doing? Right off the bat, you're questioning the word of God. It's the first thing he started out in the video. Because, see, he is of his father the devil, and of his works he will do. Well, hold on. What did the devil do in Genesis 3? What did he do to Eve? He said, the very first thing he said to her was, Yea, hath God said. Yea, hath God said. You shall not eat of the eat of the you know the fruit of this tree. And so the first thing the devil does is the first thing Michael Rood does, which is question the word of God. See, the devil hasn't changed his tactics all these thousands and thousands of years. He may have refined things some more, but he hasn't changed his tactics. And his messengers, which appear as ministers of light, but it's no marvel that they're transformed. That they're transformed into what appears to be ministers of righteousness. The Bible says if the, if the devil, if Satan can be transformed into an angel of light, it's no marvel that his ministers can be transformed into ministers of righteousness. They appear as ministers of righteousness, but inwardly they are ravening wolves, seeking whom they may devour. That's what we're talking about. A movement that is seeking to devour True Bible-believing Christians, to, to, to defile them, to leaven them. I mean, right out of the gate, the guy attacks the Word of God. This is rendered wrong. This is a bad translate. This and that. See, that's, the, that's why I have, I have debated many of them online via email, and it's a fruitless endeavor. Because they're using a rubber ruler. They're playing by a different playbook than you and I. If you want to just use the King James Bible and just stick to that and leave all of this other garbage like your Babylonian Talmud, which is the most blasphemous book I've ever read against Jesus Christ, or, or any anything else that you're using, or having to go back to the Hebrew constantly and or the Greek and the New Testament, but they say the Greek underlined the New Testament's all flawed. Again, questioning the word of God. They will not use just the King James Bible and not resort to attacking it. They have to resort to attacking the King James Bible in order to ultimately justify their position. Well, the Greek is really rendered this way. Even though the Greek's been corrupted, what it really means is this. Now, if you start getting into those semantic word games... It's pointless. It, it is an absolutely pointless argument. The Bible says, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Psalm 119, 89. It's settled. It's settled. And there's only one unbroken stream that's come up through Antioch, through the translations like the majority text, the Byzantine text, into the King James Bible. There's only one line of Bibles from that direction. And then you have all of the other Bibles that come up the other way from Egypt through the Catholic Church into the Sinaiticus and the Vaticanus. And there's this big thing this this week where we've released the Codex Vaticanus, I believe. And it's online now, as though that means anything. And it's purported to be the oldest. If it were the oldest, the only reason that it is is because it was so corrupted that even the corrupt Catholic Church not to, knew not to use it. See, when you use something, you wear it out. You wear out paper. 
if it's not used, it sits on a shelf and it can last a lot longer than something that's being used. That's the only reason, if it were true that it was the oldest, that it would be the oldest. So that doesn't impress me a bit. It's corrupted. And then those two versions spawn the revised version of 1881 that was translated by two high-level occultists named Westcott and Hort that then spawned all the modern-day Bible versions we have today, like the American Standard Version, the NIV, the Living Bible, you name it. It's pretty much spawned from that. All questioning the Word of God. All coming about during the Laodicean church era that started, I believe, around 1880, which is when this revised version first came out. It's also when a lot of cults started. The Mormons, the Jehovah Witnesses, Seventh-day Adventists, these types of things, they all started started getting cranked up at that time. Shortly thereafter, Church Incorporation became a big thing into the 1900s there, further leavening the church. So we're in the most leavened time the church has ever known since its inception. And as a result, we need to be on guard against deception in this time we're living in like no other time, particularly in the history of the modern-day church. I'm talking the blood-bought church of Jesus Christ. The greatest thing that Jesus warned against regarding the end times in Matthew 24 and in other places is to be not deceived. And if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Don't trust a man. I'm not telling anybody to follow me. I'm saying follow your Bible. We're going to be looking at a ton of Bible verses today. And you make up your own mind. I'm not telling you to, to follow me in any way, shape, or form. I'm telling you, make up your own mind. I think you're going to see, though, that the Scriptures are very clear on this issue. Without us having to go back to the Greek or the Hebrew or any of that other stuff. I understand there are certain times to clarify possibly a certain particular word. What I tell people is go get a 1918 No-Webster's Dictionary and or go online. There's two different places on the Internet. Just key in No-Webster 1828 Dictionary. You can go get it, go online for free. That's what I do. Because the dictionary itself is huge. I had one, but I gave it away. Um, go online, see what the word means. And that's written, the definitions in 1828 Noah Webster are much more accurate than they are today regarding the way the words were used back when um, the King James Bible was translated. Do that first. The only time I ever usually will go to the Hebrew or Greek in a concordance is when I've already done that. Okay, And you can also compare Scripture with Scripture to define the word. You look up where's this word used in other parts of the Bible to define what the word means. Gail Ripplinger has a whole book written on that. It's called The Language of the King James Bible. Where... The Bible talks about comparing Scripture with Scripture, rightly dividing the word of truth. Many times, that alone, you're going to be able to get the correct definition of a word. So, that's another way that you can do it, as well. The point is, it's like trying to get into a debate with somebody that... like a Satanist. Or somebody that's teaching the zeitgeist. It's pointless, because they're using a totally different standard of measurement than you're using. A Satanist may be using the Satanic Bible and esoteric texts, things of that nature. The Zeitgeisters may be using, again, Sumerian or whatever they're going to use in order to justify their position. It's kind of pointless trying to get into an argument with somebody like that when they're they're on a totally different playing field than you. You're never going to come to a meeting of the minds. So, this is why... I approach things the way I do. Present the facts. I present what the King James Bible says. What are the obvious things out there that we can use to shed light on a given subject? And um, let the truth speak for itself. So, um, they go on to say in this letter, again, this whole thing that we're talking about here, the Hebrew Roots Movement, is only bringing more division, which is what Satan's endeavoring to do with this movement. Division, strife, envy, bitter malice. That's what I'm really seeing a lot of as the fruits of this movement. And this elitist attitude 
which is nothing more than pride. They're, they're elitists. I'm better than you. Look at me. I'm using the sacred names of Jesus. You're actually uttering pagan deities out of your mouth. That's what they're going so far as to say. We're going to cover that in depth. We're going to cover that in depth as well. But again, there's just a lot of aspects to this to cover. We're celebrating the feast. We're doing this. We're doing that. Not of works, lest any man should boast, according to Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for you're saved by grace through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And that's what it ends up boiling down to. This elitist attitude. Same exact thing that Jesus dealt with with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They go on to say, I'm sorry this debacle happened again. Another Judaizing move by Satan. First the one with Paul the Apostle, now this one. And in other words, the, the, the movement that was going on in Paul's day, in other words, against the Apostles, you know, all the stuff that Paul had to deal with and all the other Apostles, you know. Ultimately, it got him crucified. Or not crucified, but they all ended up pretty much dying a martyr's death. Saved John on the Isle of Patmos, but that's still pretty much a martyr's death. I mean, he was imprisoned and, you know... And then they go on to say, I am out of all of these chat rooms now because of this very thing. So the chat rooms can be very dangerous sometimes because you get in there and people have an agenda or they want to cause division, they want to cause strife. And, you know, they're, they're, they're in there to just stir up the pot as much as they can stir it up. And um, keep me in your prayers, I will do the same. So subtle is this one. And again, that's what the Bible says in Genesis 3, that the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field. This is very subtle. Oh, it seems right. Well, there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Proverbs 14.12 and Proverbs 16.25. Well, it seems right. It seems so religious. And all of the feasts and... and and the rabbi guys and, and all of these extra biblical scriptures, wow, it seems so religious. Well, your heart is deceiving you, and the heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked, who can know it? Jeremiah seventeen nine. He who trusteth in his own heart is a fool. Proverbs twenty eight twenty six. That's what the Bible says. If you trust in your own heart, you're a fool. Well, what does the world say? Oh, trust in your heart. And you, you see these, you know, whatever sickening show might be on, and that's a lot of times the theme. Trust in your own heart. Your heart is the most deceitful thing within you. So, it's not something that you want to go around trusting. Unless you're totally right with the Lord. You know what I mean? I'm not saying your heart always deceives you. But, uh, if you start relying on your heart and not relying on the Word of God. In other words, if what your heart is telling you is contradictory to the Word of God, your heart is deceiving you. It's as simple as that. Now, I'm going to be covering a lot of verses today regarding the law and the Sabbath, how they pertain in the New Testament. Now, I've already done a whole teaching on the Sabbath. I was going to do a separate study on this within this, but I'm going to incorporate it into this because for various reasons I think that will be obvious here. We're going we're gonna to look at the, the Sabbath again with some other verses that I didn't even get into in the first two teachings I've done on this. And I have, I have had more opposition to this subject than any other subject that I teach on, by far. There is nothing that can compare to the Sabbath issue. Nothing. Now, I'm, I'm gonna, uh, I've put together a whole new Word document on this. Okay, A whole other Word document beyond the other documentation, and it's pure Bible. There is not, a lot of the, the, the documentation in the last study that I did were documentation from early, um, you know, second, third, fourth century Christians documenting that they had actually were worshiping on Sunday. Now again, Jesus Christ is the Lord of the Sabbath. Okay, that's how he even re referred to himself. So, um, I'm not going to get stuck on saying you've got to, you know, be doing it on this particular day. Okay, we need to live every day for the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, this article starts out by saying, please notice 
that the Levitical Sabbath is not even mentioned specifically or emphasized anywhere in the following 45 pages of New Testament verses and admonitions, starting at the bottom of page 2. So, uh, dear brother emailed me all of the um, commandments and admonitions in the New Testament. And I, I don't mean like Ten Commandments, I mean like the things that Jesus had said and um, a lot of the things that the New Testament clearly states. There's 45 pages of New Testament verses and the Sabbath isn't mentioned anywhere. 45 pages of New Testament. This goes on to say, why is it then that there is a sect of professed, quote, Christians that are so obsessed with the Levitical Sabbath, while at the same time, I have never personally heard these same people emphasize all of these other verses cited below. Whereas, where the Bible says, if you love me, you keep my commandments. Okay, we, we're going to get into that verse where Jesus said that. They automatically say, that's, that's, it's all of a sudden we zero in on the Ten Commandments, and particularly the Sabbath. That's the gold standard, the Sabbath verse. Whereas there's 45 pages here of cited verses where things that Jesus said and things that were also stated in the New Testament. Jesus Christ is the Word, remember. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same in the beginning was God. All things were made with him, by Him, and not without Him was not anything made that was made. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Okay, so Jesus Christ is the incarnate Word of God. So we just can't just key on one little portion of Scripture, can we? In that regard. So there's this there's this sect of professed Christians that are very obsessed with the Levitical Sabbath. And again, I just don't hear them ever citing these other verses that we're going to be getting into, or, or some of them we are. I'm going to post those in this PDF file up on the internet. Okay, you can read all of them. If the Levitical Sabbath were so important in the lives of born-again Bible-believing Christians, why does the New Testament seem to de-emphasize it? The word Sabbath in its practice is mentioned only up to Acts 18.4. Did you know that? Do a keyword search. I did. The word Sabbath in its practice is only mentioned up to Acts 18.4. Where's that? Well, that's kind of like the infancy of the church. This was the church's infancy, and the vast majority of believers at this point were Jews, physical Israel, which had always kept the Sabbath. But why then, if the Sabbath is so crucial, particularly to Gentiles, is the Sabbath not emphasized or prioritized in the rest of the New Testament? These are logical questions, aren't they? I mean, am, am I making... I'm not making this up. Just a logical question. Here's another. Also, why then are these Sabbath keepers going about to judge and many times condemn all of those who do not keep the Sabbath? Because that's the big thing. What are they doing? You talk about going about with a condemning spirit. Not saying all of them, but a ton of them. And in the back of their mind, they're thinking, I'm doing God's will and you're not. I have dealt with so many of these people. I, I've seen I've seen the attitudes before, uh, over and over, usually at least, you know, sometimes a daily basis, sometimes a weekly basis. Many Sabbath keepers, particularly of the Seventh-day Adventist cult, and yes, I said cult, equate Sunday worship with taking the mark of the beast. Did you know that? That's what they're taught in Seventh-day Adventism. We're going to do a whole study on the Seventh-day Adventists. We're going to look at the foundation of Seventh-day Adventism. And it's, it's pure wickedness. But they equate Sunday worship with the taking of the mark of the beast. And there's a lot of people that are coming over to that line of thinking. I could have swore the Bible said that it's taking a, right, a mark in your right hand or your forehead that no man can buy or sell. Or trade, you know, I, I thought it was that, but evidently it's something different. And again, this is what happens when you start to question and reinterpret the Bible to suit your own cultish belief system. It's very clear what the mark of the beast is. But 
I've had a lot of controversy over that. Now, I've done several teachings on the Mark of the Beast that you can key in on my search box on my homepage at Sermon Audio, Scott A. Johnson, Sermon Audio. Just key part of the wording you want to find, and if I've done a teaching on it or teaching where I've mentioned that particular thing, it, it will come up in the keyword search. So there's a lot of these people that have gone so far now to equating Sunday worship with taking the Mark of the Beast. And I'm telling you, it's gone, gotten bigger and bigger and bigger, this group. But the Bible says, in Colossians 2, 16 and 17, Let no man therefore judge you in meat, or in drink, or in respect of an holy day, or of a new moon, or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come. But the body is of Christ. So they're not supposed to be judging us regarding these things. But yet they do that and they equate it, they're going so far now as to equate it with taking the mark of the beast. Well, what does that mean? Once you've taken the mark of the beast, according to the Bible, there's no repentance for that. You're done. You're going to hell. How do you undo that? Well, just start celebrating the Sabbath and then you've not taken the mark of the beast. But the Bible is very clear. Once you take the mark, you're done. It doesn't matter what you do. You can cut your hand off or your head off. I I do not believe it's going to matter a bit. You've taken the mark of the beast. You will be damned forever. So I say, don't ever take it. There is no escape. Don't believe like the Left Behind series where I believe they're teaching... You can take it as long as you really didn't mean it and you really weren't on the Antichrist side. No, never. Unless you want to go to hell for eternity and burn in the lake of fire. Who'd want to do that? So they're going so far as to equate that with the Sabbath day. Remember, the Satan is the most subtle beast of the field. He's good at what he does. Now also, if one is adamant about keeping the Old Testament Levitical Sabbath, Because that's what we're talking about. Aren't we? Aren't we talking about keeping the Old Testament Levitical Sabbath that was clearly given to the Jews? And we're going to look at that, Israel. If you're adamant, then why are all of you Sabbatarians not adhering to the Old Testament penalties for not following the Levitical Sabbath properly? Including the death penalty. Why aren't you following that? If you're so great and, and, and you're being so biblically strict and correct, let's look at those verses. Exodus 31.14 Ye shall keep the Sabbath therefore, for it is holy unto you. Now this is speaking to Israel, physical Israel. Ye shall keep the Sabbath therefore, for it is holy unto you. Everyone that defileth it shall surely be put to death. For whosoever doeth any work therein, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. You do any work, you're dead. You have a right to be killed. Any work. Um, Exodus 31.15 Six days may work be done, but in the seventh is the Sabbath of rest, holy to the Lord. Whosoever doeth any work in the Sabbath day, he shall surely be put to death. Hopefully the Levitical Sabbath keepers are not heating their food or dwelling on the Sabbath day You can't eat your food or your dwelling. I'm going to prove it. Hopefully you're not doing that on the Sabbath day as that would be defilement of the Sabbath and a subsequent death penalty. Exodus 35.3 Ye shall kindle no fire throughout your habitations upon the Sabbath day. Kindle no fire. Well, I've got central heating. Okay, I guess guess you got off there then. I guess you got off because you didn't actually kindle a fire. Hopefully there's not a pilot light on anything that you're using. I mean, I guess that would only be for gas. Can't use gas. Because that's kindling a fire. But maybe if you use central central heat. You, you, you see the, the craziness of this? And again, this is just, we're just starting here. I'm going to bolster greatly, not me, but the Bible is going to bolster itself, greatly what we're saying. I'm trying to build a foundation here. So you can see, you know, where we're coming from. Also, the Levitical Sabbath keepers better not work in any way, shape, or form, even picking up sticks. 
would qualify them to be taken out and stoned or put to death. Now, whether that would involve, what is that game? Uh, Pixie Sticks or something? Or something like that? That that little game they got where you do the... I don't know. I I wouldn't play that game either. Because you might have to be stoned. Uh, You know, it would just be terrible for playing a little game having to be stoned like that. What's it? Pick, Pick up sticks. Yeah. So anyway, Numbers 15, 32 through 36. And while the children of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man that gathered sticks upon the Sabbath day. And they that found him gathering sticks brought him unto Moses and Aaron and unto all the congregation. And they put him in, they put him inward because it was not declared what should be done unto him. And the Lord said unto Moses, the Lord said this. I mean, at one time, this was a very binding thing under the, the Jewish Levitical law system given through Moses, okay? So this wasn't a laughing matter. I'm not saying it's a laughing matter now. But at one time, this was very much binding. And the Lord said unto Moses, The man shall surely be put to death. He was picking up sticks. Well, God, that's not fair. Hey, this is, this is not my rule book. This is God's. We're going to be discussing this subject about the law and about the better covenant that was instituted through Jesus Christ. We're going to be discussing that. The man shall surely be put to death. This is God speaking. All the congregation shall stone him with stones without the camp. And all the congregation brought him without the camp and stoned him with stones. And he died as the Lord commanded Moses. Okay, not my words, but the word of God. It's what happened then. Hopefully, all the Levitical Sabbath keepers are also not letting anyone in their house do any work, including employees that may work for them and also their animals they own. Now, I did a keyword search for Sabbath in the Bible, and I looked at every single one of the, and there was a ton where it mentioned Sabbath. I looked at every single one, and I got these verses out of the Bible. So this isn't something I just did a cursory overview on. Here's another thing. Don't You better not be letting anyone in their house do any work, including employees that may work for them and or the animals they own, as this would be defiling the Sabbath, Sabbath and punishable by death according to Deuteronomy 5.14, which says, But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work. Thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, nor thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, your, your, your employees, essentially. Nor thine ox, nor thine ass, nor thy cattle. Ass meaning the donkey, ox, cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. That thou manservant and thy maidservant may rest as well as thou. Everybody can't do anything. Also, hopefully, the Levitical Sabbath keepers are strictly following the next Levitical commandments to the Old Testament Jews as well. Which says in Numbers 28, 9, and 10, And on the Sabbath day, two lambs of the first year without spot and two-tenth deals of flour for a meat offering mingled with oil and the drink offering thereof. This is the burnt offering of every Sabbath beside the continual burnt offering and his drink offering. So hopefully you're doing that too. (laughs) You know, there's all these people that keep the Sabbath, but they don't do any of these things. Well, what do you think this is like? You know, Burger King religion? You can have it your way and have it now? I want it my way and I want it now. I want my Sabbath my way and I want it now. Okay. Well, you're not following what the Bible clearly says. I mean, if you want to put yourself under that bondage, that is your prerogative. But, you know, I would venture to say, not too many doing that. And again, I don't even want to argue with anybody about those points I just read. That's the Old Testament Levitical law. Okay, we're going to look now at what the New Testament says regarding this subject and the subject of the law. I'm not condemning the law. I'm going to tell you what the Bible says. Okay, 
Galatians 2.21 I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness, righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come by the law, if it come by the law, now that's part of the law we just mentioned, then Christ is dead in vain. And I'm going to prove that's part of the law in, in very shortly here. Righteousness does not come by the law. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Galatians 4.21 says, Tell me, ye that desire to be under the law. Now this is what I would say to all the people out there that believe we have to keep the law. In all the, the, the Hebrew Roots movement, in their various flavors, wherever they fall on the scale of having to keep the Sabbath and or the law or whatever. This is the question the Bible poses to you. Not me, but this is the question that the Bible poses to you. Tell me, ye that desire to be under the law, do ye not hear the law? Now, we're going to define the law, or the, the essence of it, here. Galatians 4.22 For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one of a bondmaid and the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh. But he of the free woman was of the promise. The free woman, Sarah, his wife. Okay? Isaac, Ishmael was the one of the bondwoman, into bondage. So again, but he was he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh, Ishmael, which is where we get the the start of a lot of the modern day uh, Arabic cultures and nations from Ishmael. And the Bible clearly predicted he was going to be a wild man. And you look at what's going on in the Middle East, and you see a lot of a lot of that going on. Okay. But he who was of the free woman was by promise. Which things are an allegory. For these are the two covenants. Okay, these are the two covenants they're saying. The one from Mount Sinai, which gendereth to bondage. What was given at Mount Sinai? The Ten Commandments. That's what was given. Now, I'm not going to apologize for what the Bible clearly says. It says that there's two covenants. The one that was given from Mount Sinai, which gendereth to bondage. Gendereth meaning like it brings you to bondage. doesn't mean it's, it was bad, but it's a fact. It's a statement of fact. And it was done for a reason. And, and we will get into that in subsequent verses. So Mount Sinai is where the Ten Commandments were given. To Moses and the Israelites. It wasn't given to anyone else. Was it? Were the Ten Commandments given to the Egyptians? No, it was given exclusively to the Israelites. Does that mean the Ten Commandments are bad? No, I'm not saying that. But if you go to Exodus, it's clearly given to Moses and the Israelites. I, mean, I don't think there's any debate about that. And the Sabbath is part of the Ten Commandments. It is one of the commandments. The, the, one of the covenants that was given at Mount Sinai, which, well, the, one of the two covenants, one of them given at Mount Sinai, which the Bible says gendereth to bondage. Now, the law, where it says, tell me ye that desire to be under the law, do ye not hear the law? The law is defined here not as all the other extraneous commandments, although that is part of the Old Testament Levitical system, you know, where you have to have your beard a certain way and, you know, you can't combine fabrics and, and an ox can't pull with, a, with another type of animal, those types of things, okay? Now, I'm not saying there's not wisdom in any of the other commandments that is, are given under Old Testament Levitical law. I did a whole teaching on the wisdom of the Levitical dietary guidelines. There's a wisdom in that God gave it, no doubt. I'm not disputing that. But is that what saves us? See, that's the essence of what we're talking about here. We're talking about what what is it that saves... I've already done a whole teaching on salvation, and that's what I'm going to stick to, believing. <laughs> You're saved by grace through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Through the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ, through His shed blood to pay our sin debt. That's what saves us. 
But so many people want to bring this into the equation and, and add this to the salvation portion. You're adding to the Word of God. You're preaching another gospel. And you're bringing a curse upon yourself. Because the Bible says, if you preach another gospel, that person is accursed. I don't want to see people be accursed or bring a curse upon themselves. But I'm telling you, when you get into this stuff with this Hebrew roots, they're the most impossible people to ever reach. I don't ever recall swaying one of them. Maybe I have, I don't know. It's, it's not about me, it's about what can the Lord do through truth. Whether it's coming from me or whoever else. Okay, so I'm going to read this again. For which things are an allegory, for these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai with gendereth to bondage, which is Agar. For this Agar is in Mount Sinai in Arabia, and answereth to Jerusalem, which is now, which now is and is in bondage with her children. Let me go back to this other comment. Okay, so again, we want to we want to be very clear here that the laws defined here, not as all in this particular instance, not as all the other extraneous commandments in the Levitical Old Testament Judaism, but the covenant that was given at Mount Sinai, which is the Ten Commandments. Now I am purely saying this to establish the definition of the covenant from Mount Sinai, which the Bible says it gendereth the bondage. Okay, not me, the Bible. And you understand now, are you seeing why there's many within the Hebrew roots movement, particularly the rabbis, that try to get us to either de-emphasize or not even look at the New Testament. They don't want you to see these verses because they're contradictory to what is being taught in the Hebrew roots movement. It may not be when you first walk in the door. Well, I didn't learn that the first day or the first year. <laughs> You're not going to know that Say that a, a lot of Freemasons don't even really realize it's ever evil, ever. They don't even get up to the higher degrees. They just kind of stay at the lower levels. It's no different here. You stay at the lower levels, you may never get clued into any of this. Going to the next verse, Galatians 4.26, But Jerusalem, which is above, is free. So again, they're saying... That the, the, the covenant that was given at Mount Agar, which is Mount Sinai in Arabia, is in bondage with her children. It's, in bo- it's, a, it's a covenant of bondage. But Jerusalem, which is above, is free. Which is the mother of us all. The, it says which is above. This seems to be in reference to New Jerusalem. Remember New Jerusalem is going to come down? It says it's above. It's going to come down. Just an interesting little point there. Next verse, for it is written, Rejoice thou that thou barren that bearest not. Break forth and cry, thou that travailest not. For the desolate hath have many more children than she which hath an husband. Next verse, now we brethren, as Isaac, we brethren, us Christians, brethren, one in Christ, where there's neither Jew nor Greek, bond nor free, male nor female. That's what the Bible says. We are all one in Christ. We are part of the body of Christ. Now we brethren, okay, that's addressed to us as born again Christians, if you are, as Isaac was, who was Isaac? He was the offspring of Abraham. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, you know, in the twelve tribes. We now brethren as Isaac are the children of promise. But then, but as then, he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the Spirit. Even so it is now. Now let's read that again. But as then, he that was born after the flesh. Who's that? Ishmael. Okay? The servant of the, 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 the um, offspring of the bond woman. Okay? which is a type of bondage. Okay, That was the one that was born after the flesh. Persecuted him that was born after the spirit. Which would be a um, Isaac. Okay, 
Even so it is now. It's no different now as it was then. Now, if you have somebody that's born after the flesh, and in, t- in today's modern times, what would that be an example of? The rabbis in the Hebrew Roots Movement, or the people in the Hebrew root Movement. They're born after the flesh. They, it's like they want to be under this bondage. They want to be under this law. They want to be able to say they earned their way to heaven. I did it my way. Like Frank Sinatra. You know? I did it my way. Didn't Elvis sing that song too? I don't know. But anyway. And again, those two guys are burning in hell. Oh no, Elvis sang all those gospel songs. Well, I'm sorry, but by their fruit you shall know them. If he was saved, you know, God forgive me, but... I just didn't see the fruit, sorry. Died of a drug overdose on the toilet. Due to, due to drug, indu- drug overdose-induced constipation or whatever he died of. And he did. That's how he died. Eating fried, uh, you know, peanut butter and banana sandwiches. Anyway, got a little off track there. But, now we, brethren, as Isaac, are children of the promise. But then, he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the Spirit. It's the same today. Okay, The the type of born after the flesh in today's day and age and in Jesus' day were the religious Jews, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the scribes who had sought to bring people back into bondage. Okay, What are they going to do? They're going to persecute them that are born after the Spirit. Now, in the King James Bible, this word Spirit is with a capital S. It's not just spirit, like a spirit that lives within us, like our spirit. This is the Holy Spirit this is in reference to. So it's in reference to born-again Bible-believing Christians, because only born-again Bible-believing Christians have the Holy Spirit, with a capital S, dwelling within them. So that's very important when you read this verse. And then it says, even so it is now. It's the same way today as it was then. Next verse, Galatians 4.30. Nevertheless, what saith the Scripture? Cast out the bondwoman and her son. That's what the Bible says. Cast out the bondwoman and her son. For the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. They're not going to be heirs together. We're not going to be heirs together. I don't view... I'm sorry, but when I see somebody in rank apostasy teaching a damnable heresy in some cultish doctrine and or teaching some false gospel, I don't consider them my brother or sister in Christ. I don't. Maybe that maybe they are saved and very deceived, but you know, if they are, of whom the Lord loveth, he also chasteneth. I just don't see how you can be saved and stay in something your whole life, and still be saved, and not have any conviction to get out. The Holy Spirit lives inside you. Why? How could that be so? I understand everybody can be deceived, but to stay in it year after year after year, and have no conviction of sin? I mean, godly sorrow worketh repentance, of whom the Lord loveth, he also chasteneth, and if you be without chastisement, you're bastards. What is a bastard? An illegitimate son. You thought you were a son, but you were actually a bastard. You're an illegitimate son. Going to the next verse, Galatians 4.31. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. We've clearly defined that the bondwoman is in conjunction with the covenant, the one given at Mount Sinai. We've clearly, hopefully, established that as fact. The Bible establishes it fact. Uh, let's go, let's see here. Okay, Galatians 4.9. I just want to see if I'm, yeah, okay. Galatians 4.9. But now, after ye have known God, or rather are known of God, again, Galatians was a uh, an admonition from Paul to the church of Galatia to get back on track, to not let these Jewish heresies seep back in to the church. That's what all... Just read Galatians. I would say if there was one book in the Bible that would be a real huge 
enemy and stumbling block of the Hebrew Roots Movement. Galatians, pretty much up there. Hebrews is there. Romans is there. There's a lot of Bible verses that address this. But I would say Galatians is the most concentrated part of Scripture that addresses this exact subject. And that's why we're going to be reading so many verses from Galatians today. But again, if a Hebrew Roots person could get you to believe that your Bible's flawed, like old Michael Rood did right off the bat, then what does Galatians really say? I need a rabbi to interpret. In fact, you know what? The underlying Greek is, is actually, that's what he goes on to say. It's flawed. It shouldn't even be there. It shouldn't be Greek. It should be Hebrew or Aramaic. So now you're really questioning the word of God. Oh boy, that's a real faith builder. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Hebrews 11.1. 1. So, if what you're putting your faith in, which should be the word of God, is undermined and questioned and put into doubt, where does your faith go? It evaporates into nothing. You have no more. You have nothing more to base your faith on. But it says, without faith, it is impossible to please him. So what do you start putting your faith in as a Hebrew Roots Movement person? Well, the rabbi, hopefully his interpretation, maybe the Talmud. That tells me what the Bible really says, right? Yeah, that blasphemous Talmud and the Kabbalah and the Jihad, you know, you could just go, I've already got into that in the first nine studies, how blasphemous that is and how antichrist that is. The antichrist spirit that operates through those blasphemous oral traditions. You know, if that's what you want to start putting your faith in, your faith is based on a lie. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Well, if you don't believe what you're reading is the word of God, it's been undermined by some rabbi or some whoever false teacher. How are you going to build faith? You can't. You cannot build it, because you don't even believe the thing that you're reading. Which is the last thing you need to do regarding the day and times we're moving into. We're going to need greater faith in, in the end times than, than we've ever needed in our life up to this point. And yet there's these huge swaths and sects of pseudo-Christianity cults that are out there that are trying to get your eyes off the Word of God, to question the Word of God. Who do you think is behind that? Now, people say, I, I, I read quotes this week that I, I don't have a kind or a loving bone in my body and, and then I'm whatever, all these malicious things. They're confusing righteous indignation and am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth with love? Am I? What did Jesus say to the Pharisees and Sadducees? I just read the verses last week. You den of vipers, you serpents. Oh, well, he could have been accused of the same thing. Now, I'm not comparing myself to Jesus Christ. I'm just saying there is a time to get righteous indignant about something. Be ye angry and sin not. Were there a lot of prophets in the Old Testament that got really angry about things because of what they saw going on? within the church. God is angry with the wicked every day. So, and what other time in history have we ever lived in where there's more to be angry about? I mean righteously indignant. And it is hard not to get into the flesh when it comes into this stuff. I'm not saying I'm perfect. But anyway... Galatians 4.9 But now, after ye have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage? How do you do it? He, he said, he asked the church of Galatia, how are you turning again to the weak and beggarly elements where ye desire to be in bondage? What does he mean? Well, he defines it in the next verse. Ye observe days and months, and times, and years. I am afraid of you, lest I bestowed upon you labor in vain. You observe days like a Sabbath day? What else could he be in reference to? I understand there's other days you can observe. But again, we had just read before that we're not supposed to judge a man on this particular issue. They're judging us. That's what they base their whole argument on. And it's getting so bad to the point now where they're believing we're taking the mark of the beast because I mean, you talk about something that will scare you into doing something. Well, if you're not grounded in the Bible, if you don't understand what the mark of the beast really is, you might buy into that. 
As a baby Christian, you're, this would be the worst thing you could possibly get into as a baby Christian. Because, you know, here you are thinking you're freed through the Lord Jesus Christ and saved, and now all of a sudden you find out, oh, I've got to do this and I've got to do that, and I better not do this, or I've taken the mark of the beast. It's a damnable heresy, is what it is. And that's why I'm so against it. But when it says, how turn you get into the weak and beggarly elements? That's what this whole study is about. This huge swath of, let's, let's give them the benefit of the doubt and call them Christians. At the, at, they, they're, they're Christians and they turn to the weak and beggarly elements. That's exactly what Paul was addressing here. Okay, we're going to continue here. Um, Exodus 31, 16 and 17a. Wherefore, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath. Okay, now this was clear, clear, clear statement that was given back in Exodus. The children of Israel, physical Israel, it says, physical, the twelve tribes of Israel, shall keep the Sabbath, to observe the Sabbath, Sabbath throughout their generations for a perpetual covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. Now, if you're a... I understand, if you truly are a Jew, you could make a case and you could look at that verse and say, well, i got to keep... Okay, That's between you and the Lord. Okay, I'm talking about the vast majority of listeners here who are not Jews. And we can look at this verse and clearly see that it was given to the Israel... It says... It doesn't say to the children of Israel in all Gentile nations. It doesn't say to the children of Israel in the pagans. It was given to the children of Israel at Mount Sinai. Okay? Which is the covenant from Mount Sinai which gendereth to bondage. Galatians 3.21 says, For if there had been a law given which could have given life... So, do you think you're going to get life by keeping the Sabbath and the Ten Commandments? Okay, if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law, but it wasn't. It wasn't. I'm not saying the Ten Commandments are bad. I'm not saying that the knowledge of sin is bad. I'm just saying I'm focusing on the subject of is the Sabbath what saves us? Is the law what saves us? Okay, that's what we're focusing on because that's where this gets pulled back into. We're perpetually being saved. It's just like every other pagan religion out there that believes that it's this perpetual thing that you've got to do in order to stay saved. It's just very dangerous. Because you get away from the finished work of Christ, you get away from the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ to pay your sin debt. You think something else is paying your sin debt, you're in you're into apostasy. Acts fifteen nineteen. Okay, now this is Acts. Okay, this is where we have the infancy of the church. And this is what even the Jews of that day said. Okay? Wherefore, my sentence is... Okay, now this is these are like the, the apostles, essentially. Okay? Uh, I, I believe they had a consensus, is what I mean. Wherefore, my sentence is that we trouble not them which from among the Gentiles are turned to God. We, we're not going to trouble them that are among the Gentiles, which is 99% of, you know, the people that we're dealing with here in today's day and age, which trouble not them from among the Gentiles which are turned to God. In other words, the Gentiles that were saved. The next verse, verse 20. But that we write unto them that they abstain from pollutions of idols. You know, you know we're not supposed to eat things that are sacrificed to idols. And, you know, that's, I mean, come on, that's, that would just be common sense. You know, I have this pagan sacrifice to an idol. Yeah, I don't think it's something you want to eat. Okay? But, that they abstain from pollutions of idols, but I think in this regard, it's the actual worshipping of the idols as well. Probably even more so. Pollutions of idols, and from fornication, joining your temple, you know, temple to temple, defiling the temple, outside of the bond of marriage... That's what fornication is. Sex outside of the bond of biblical marriage. Okay, But that we write unto them that they abstain from the pollutions of idols and from fornication and from, th- from things strangled and from blood, which is kind of one in the same. Because if you strangle an animal, the blood tends to stay in the meat. Now, I've done a whole teaching on this as well. Um, 
I believe where we talked about it in the Levitical Dietary Guidelines. You could just key in, I don't know, Dietary or Guidelines or Levitical in the keyword search box on my homepage if you want to hear that. Okay, we don't want to be eating blood. Okay, we don't want to be eating blood. That's a perpetual covenant, and that's something you never want to do. But they hide blood in a lot of stuff. So I would go back and listen to my teaching on that. You know, if you really want to know about that subject before. But notice here in this in this verse, which is which is where. Um, I believe the apostles have a consensus that we trouble not them which are from among the Gentiles or turn unto God. They abstain, um, that they abstain from pollutions of idols and from fornication and from things strangled and from blood. Notice, the law and the Sabbath are not mentioned here. Did it say keeping the law and keeping the Sabbath? Or keeping the Ten Commandments even? Keep, now granted, those are, those, a lot of the things in the Ten Commandments, without knowing the lie, had not known sin. Okay, so I'm not saying that they're evil, obviously, but I'm talking about these are the things that that was the pronouncements that were given at the start, the very infancy of the church regarding this exact subject that we're talking about today. Here we go again in um, Acts 15:23, and they wrote letters by them after this manner: the apostles and the elders, brethren, sending greeting unto the brethren which are of the Gentiles in Antioch, in Syria, and Cilicia. Verse 24, for as much as ye have heard that certain which went out from among us have troubled you. Isn't that what we're talking about today? They went out from among the apostles, but now they're troubling the newly converted Gentile Christians. When it says they went out from among us, who is that? That would be, they went out from among us as Jews, most likely. Jews that were supposedly converted, but now we're seeing that they're actually false converts. They went out from among us and now they're troubling other people. Well, how are they troubling them? With words. That's how they're troubling them. With words. That's what the next two words say. Subverting your souls. Okay, now I'm looking at the um, definition of subvert. Or subverting. What it means is overthrowing, entirely destroying. That's from the 1828 Noah Webster, which again, more accurately defines the words. So, one who overthrows a subverter, overthrowing, entirely destroying, overthrowing from the foundation to overturn, to utterly ruin. Doesn't sound good. What is it saying here? It's saying that they're subverting, they're utterly ruined, they're destroying these, these um, Christians, or trying to, for inasmuch as you have heard that certain which went out from among us, these false Jewish converts, have troubled you with words, subverting your souls or utterly destroying your souls, saying, ye must be circumcised. They're saying, you've got to be circumcised. And then it says, what does it say next? And keep the law to whom we gave no such commandment. End of quote. It says to whom we gave no such commandment. I don't know how much clear you can make that. I'm going to go ahead and start, uh, stop part 10 here. We're going to go to part 11 where we're going to just continue this uh, next. God bless you.